Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Notice it did not say, knowing that a man is not justified by the law. It says that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have been have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Again, notice the difference. He kept emphasizing there's a difference between the law and the works of the law. But if... There is one person who is justified by keeping the law. Who was that? Jesus. Faith. Uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The first person who lived by grace was the man, Christ Jesus. And he demonstrated to us how effective living by faith can be. Because it is, or excuse me, by grace can be. He lived by grace. He lived by the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit of God to do what flesh cannot do itself, even his flesh. And so therefore, from an innocent standpoint, if 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 someone being innocent, dying for the guilty, if, if that's all there is to it, then those that have thrown their babies to crocodiles and into volcanoes, etc., would seem to have some justification because they are sacrificing a child that's innocent for the betterment of everybody. But that's not what the Word of God teaches. Jesus was innocent, not just because he was a child, but he lived an innocent life by the grace of God. He said on numerous occasions, the son can do nothing of himself. So everything that the man Christ Jesus did, he did by the empowerment of the spirit of God in him. And it was by the empowerment of the Spirit of God that enabled him to keep the law. And therefore, when he died, he died innocent because he had not violated the law. But you and I, that's not the case. If you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole, whole law. And flesh cannot keep the law. Romans 8 says that the, the law was weak uh, through the flesh. Now, it wasn't the law that was weak. It was the plan that someone could keep the law through flesh that was weak because flesh is not capable of keeping the law. Verse 17, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, 
I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law. How, what does that mean? The law killed me. It says thou shalt not. I did the thou shalt not. So therefore according to the law. I'm as good as dead. Because the penalty upon sin is. The soul that sinned shall surely die. That's the penalty on those who violate the law. The soul that sinned shall surely die. If you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. And once you have ever sinned, you no longer have any hope of ever being saved by doing right through your flesh, through your human ability. You no longer have any hope of doing that because no amount of good deeds can undo your guilt over violating the law. No amount of good deeds. There's no nation or culture in this world. I know I said a couple of these things. This is introduction and refresher for those that were here and introduction that weren't for those that weren't here last week uh, because I'm going farther with this subject. Uh, there's no culture, nation on earth that allows a person who is guilty of a crime to be declared innocent because they do good in jail. In fact, even if you're pardoned, your record still shows your crime, your trial, your conviction, you're guilty. And of course, the primary definition of both the Hebrew and Greek word words that are translated forgive or forgiveness is to be pardoned. So being pardoned does not eliminate the record. And guess what? The adversary uses the record against you to accuse you. He knows the record. The Lord said, I will cast all your sins behind my back. He said, I will, I will uh, forgive your transgressions and remember your sins no more. I will cast all your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. God does that. You can't. And the adversary doesn't. So therefore, when I am struggling, the adversary reminds me of what I used to be and what I used to do. Why? Because I have been pardoned and my record still exists. Forgiveness or pardon simply means I am no longer under the penalty for my crime. I have been relieved of the penalty of my crime. And I'm going to say this to you, okay? Forgiveness primarily only affects your eternity. Because in a very literal, strict sense, forgiveness means you've been pardoned and are no longer liable under the 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 uh, the threat or the uh, jurisdiction of the penalty against your crime. 
The soul that sinneth shall surely die. That is invaluable. It, it can't be changed. So therefore, God cannot forgive you or I just because he feels like it. Because if the Lord forgave us without someone innocent dying in our place, he would violate his own word and cease to be God. He can't just wave his hand and say, it's okay. Because his word had to be satisfied. The word of God had to be satisfied. And the word was, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Someone's got to die for the sin. Someone's got to die. The only way we can be forgiven is that somebody paid the penalty for our sins. And therefore their innocence or righteousness, as I said last week, is given to us as a gift. A gift we don't earn, we don't deserve, but is given to us out of love and because uh, and 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 well and grace and those of us Christians specifically I'm talking to apostolic Christians right now those of us that cannot accept this forgiveness as a gift and this innocence as a gift and we are determined to work our way to heaven by doing right. So we shouldn't do right? No, 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 no. No, that's not what it says. In fact, if you will give me a second, I will read you that verse. Romans chapter uh, 6. 6, excuse me. Romans chapter. You got to do the chapter before the verse, don't you? Okay. What shall we then say? This is Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, because the last verse of the previous chapter said this, that as sin hath reigned, uh, well, let, let, let me read this. This is really good stuff. Let me start with Romans chapter 5 uh, and verse uh, 12. This is, this is a summation of what I've just been saying. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so all, but, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they all, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign 
in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, the, by the righteousness or the innocence of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the, that was Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now remind you, this is all written to the church. This isn't written to sinners. So then verse 1 of chapter 6 says, because remember again, chapter and verse divisions were not the original. They were inserted by man for reference sake. So we have a tendency to go by them and we divide up thoughts. What shall we say then? Based on what? Everything was just said. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then he goes through the process of how we got out of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you're not. So many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ raised being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died under sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon, and again, this is not, Southern terminology, I reckon so. This is not guessing or some colloquial surmising. This Greek word is very specific. It speaks of a consideration of all of the facts and coming to a solid conclusion based on the facts. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign, have the rule in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves. And notice, notice, it didn't say what you should do. He didn't say go do this, go do that. What the, this is what you do. You yield. What does that mean, yield? It means that if you have the Spirit of God in you, which is the Spirit of grace, or, or the Spirit that brings and produces grace, New Testament grace, not this anything goes, you're saved by grace, you can live any way you want to live and you're all okay stuff. That is such a perversion of what the Word of God teaches about grace. But that I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, therefore I have the Spirit of God in me, which is grace, and grace is the operation of the Spirit of God in me, enabling me to do what I cannot do myself. But God will not do the, 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 uh, 
the Jacob wrestling match with us. He is not going to wrestle with you to empower you to do right. The only way that grace is going, the Spirit of God is going to empower you to do the Word of God is if you yield. That means you give up, you give in, you give over. You stop resisting, you stop trying to do it, and you give in and let Him do it. It is not hard to live for God unless you're trying to do it yourself. It is easy to live the life, the Christian life, if you allow that to live through you. But if you and the Lord have got this constant debate going on, well, I like that, I don't like that, I'm willing to do that, but I'm not willing to do this. There's no yielding going on there. And that's hard. Because now there's this constant inner debate with God and with yourself. You know, now, Lord, Lord, this is really okay with you. And then if I, if I do this, because I don't see anything wrong with that. So it's really okay with you if I, because I, I know what they say, meaning the preacher, the church, but, but I don't really think that. I don't really see it that way. So it's really okay. And then, Lord, does that sound like yielding to you? And listen, listen. Neither, it's verse 13 again, neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness and sin. Whoa. What does that mean? That you're not deciding to do sin. You decide to yield to sin. Oh, so all of us are very proficient at yielding to sin to do sin through us. We just don't want to yield to God to let God do through us. Because there's pleasure in sin for a season. A season. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. So anybody out there that tells you you don't have to change, you don't have to be different, you can, you know, you do, God doesn't expect X, Y, Z from you. That's not important. He loves you. He saves you by grace. They, they are only confessing their delusion. There's, not, this is, this, isn't this in their Bible? I'm reading King James. How long has that been around? 500 plus years? 503 exactly? There's nothing in this book that says you, you can live any old way you want to, call yourself a Christian or saved. Oh, but they want to call this legalism. No, this isn't legalism. Legalism, as I said last week, is attempting to obey the Word of God through the strength and will and the ability of flesh. But you can't do that, and I can't do that. It's not possible. 2,000 years they tried to do it and couldn't do it. There's a whole lot of Christians 
They claim to be in the New Testament, but they're living an Old Testament experience because they're trying to do right through their own ability. And again, Paul said in Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? What does he mean? You didn't get saved by the flesh. You couldn't forgive yourself. You couldn't give yourself the Holy Ghost. You had to yield at every step of the way. You yielded to the knowledge that your actions were sin and you, and you confessed. You repented. The word confess means to speak in agreement with. God's word says this is wrong. So when you confess, you're saying, Lord, I agree. My actions were wrong. This is wrong. And, and, and there's sorrow that comes with that. And godly sorrow works or produces a change of mind, a change. And I had to yield to someone taking me and putting me down in the water. You can't baptize yourself any more than a dead person can bury themselves. And you didn't give yourself the Holy Ghost. In fact, how many people seeking for the Holy Ghost over the years didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it because they were trying to get the Holy Ghost. And every time the Spirit of God began to move, they refused to yield. So you get forgiven by yielding. You get baptized by yielding. You receive the Holy Ghost by yielding. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by all of your sweating, spiritual sweating, profusely activities to try to do right through your own ability? No. That's the beauty of receiving the Spirit. I am alive. I was dead, but I'm now alive. I'm dead to the law. That old man that was crucified by the law, that was pronounced guilty by the law, uh, died in repentance, was buried with Christ in water baptism. That old man doesn't exist anymore. His penalty's been paid. He's dead. He's buried. And now he's been resurrected by the same spirit that came into the body of the man Christ Jesus in that tomb is the exact same resurrecting spirit that came into you and I when we were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And that spirit is now in me. And if I learn to be dead to me, and yield my being over to that spirit. That spirit who is the author of the law will live the law through me. That's what Isaiah said. That's what Jeremiah said. Ezekiel says it, that I will write. I will take out of you the stony heart, and I will put in you a heart of flesh, and I will write my law on the fleshly tables of your heart, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. That's the new covenant. The new covenant is not that I'm now no longer held responsible for obeying what's right and what's wrong according to God's word, but now I don't have to try to keep that by my own ability. I yield to the Spirit of God in me because the Spirit of God's in me, that's in me wants me to live according to what He said is right and wrong. Now, we don't have to obey the ceremonial portion of the law. You don't have to go find you a lamb somewhere and bring it and cut it and soak this carpet with blood. There's only one lamb for the New Testament. And he's already shed His blood. There's only one lamb for the New Testament. It's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So we don't have to keep offering a lamb. We just have to, to, to uh, believe in and appropriate the death of that lamb for us individually. There was a lamb that died. There was blood that was shed. 
but it was a once and for all death of a lamb. So I don't have to slay animals today. So that that ceremonial part of the law, the application of how to overcome, because all of that, all that blood was shed because they were failing to keep the law through their flesh. And so God had a plan so that he didn't have to destroy them. And according to the word of God, the, the, the death of every one of those lambs and, 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 and the shedding of their blood pushed sins forward another day. It did not, it did not remove the penalty. It only pushed it forward so that God by his plan, by his law, did not have to execute his vengeance upon them that day. And it kept being pushed forward every year until finally on that Passover day when those lambs had been slain in all of those years for for tens of years, scores, hundreds, thousands of years, Finally, one lamb on a Passover day gave his life, shed his blood once and for all. So that whatever you've done and whatever you do can all be taken care of by the same sacrifice. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. What's he mean? Walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Well, walking after the flesh must be going and doing wrong. No. There's no condemnation to them that walk not after the flesh, meaning, okay, 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 I'll just read it, okay? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What's he talking about? Let's read and let the Word of God tell us. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Not free from what's right and what's wrong, but free from the fact that I'm supposed to keep the law through my own ability, and I can't. Therefore, I'm under the penalty of death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Four verses, that phrase is, those two phrases are repeated twice. What's it mean? The righteousness of the law, which is the righteousness of Christ, which is given to us, and which is the, he fulfilled the righteousness of the law, and then he gives us that innocence, that righteousness as a gift for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's the robe of Christ's righteousness that's put on us. That robe of righteousness, that innocence of Christ is put on us. And we are not to do the right and not do the wrong through our own flesh. We are to allow the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit, to work this in us. The same exact Spirit that was in the man Christ Jesus who enabled him to live his days 
innocent and not guilty of a single sin is the same exact spirit that you and I were given. And if we will learn to let the, let the Holy Ghost teach us how to yield to that same spirit, you and I can live without sinning. That's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't gotten there yet. That's why First John 1 says, if you say you have no sin, you make him a liar. The truth's not in you. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, but if you sin, that's not a license to sin. It's not an excuse to sin. It's an acknowledgement. We're not there yet. Even though I've been given the spirit of life, which is the spirit of grace, which is the empowerment to do right if I will yield my members to it, the bottom line is it's a process. It's a process if I'm earnestly seeking with everything in me to give myself over to the process. It's still a process. That the righteousness of this is verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't the word the word, <laughs> the word cannot there, the 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 that's the negative. It can not. The word can there is the verb form of dunamis, which is a supernatural empowerment. We call it power. Dunamis is the, is the noun, but the super, it's dunamai or something like that. It's the verb form. It is the, it's the supernatural empowerment to do what you cannot do yourself. And it's not. If I am in the flesh, if I am trusting my human strength, ability, and will to do right, I am in the flesh, and it is not possible for the empowerment of God's Spirit to enable me to please God. This is an exact contradiction, or not contradiction, but corollary, the opposite of Philippians 2.13. I'm coming back to this verse, but I want to, want to go to Philippians 2.13. Uh, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God, the word there uh, that worketh is God that worketh. The word, the word there is to, to activate, to cause to be operative, to cause to be effective, to empower. It is God that works in you both to thelema, wish, want, or desire, and to do dunamai, supernatural impartation to be able to do what you cannot do yourself, of those things that please God. So God works in me to empower me to do, to, to first of all, to even want to please God. If I want to please God, I can't even take credit for that. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The blessing is the hungering and thirsting. The filling is the response or the result of me yielding to the hungering and thirsting. So it is God that works in me 
both God is at work in me to activate, to cause to be operative in me, a desire to please God. It is that desire that causes me to be willing to yield to His empowerment to enable me to do those things that please God. But Romans 8 and verse 8 says, If I am in the flesh, it is impossible for me to please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, therefore, based on all this has just been said, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, through the agency of, by the empowerment of, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So, going back to Galatians chapter 2, one more time. Uh, I'm, I'll read... I'm going to read again, uh, starting verse 17. But if while we seek, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed and make myself a transgressor, for I through for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. The law. What was the cross? What was the cross? The cross, according to Galatians 3, <laughs> Galatians 3, uh, beginning with uh, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in things which written in the, in, in the book of the law to do them. So hear me, hear me please. When you are attempting to obey the word of God by means of your humanity, you bring yourself under the curse of the law. And what is that? The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Verse 10 again. For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not. It's not enough to do them... You know, this isn't the major leagues. Batting 300 is not going to get you a $20 million contract. Sinning seven, uh, seven out of ten times? Uh-uh, no. If you're going to earn your salvation by doing right, you got about a thousand every day for the rest of your life. Oh, but there's a slight problem. You came up through the minor leagues and you didn't always bat a thousand. And the difference is, when you come out of the minor leagues into the majors, you start your record all over again because they only count your batting average in the majors, but God doesn't. He counts your batting average all the way back through uh, 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 Little League. And every out you made all the way back to Little League is counted against your record, which means it doesn't matter if you bat a 1,000 in the majors, you still don't have a batting average of a 1,000.
I'm going to read 10 again. For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under the cur- curse of the law, uh, under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. How did he become cursed? Well, he couldn't be under the curse of the law because he'd never sinned. So he had to do something that was cursed. And what was the curse? Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The, the cross was a curse. And it was the result of him being cursed for us so that our sins could be paid for. Because God allowed one curse to stand as a substitute for another curse. And by being cursed by hanging on the tree, then his innocent death substituted for my guilt. And when I'm trying to do right by my own strength, I'm just taking all that to a big eraser in my life said, none of that is important. None of that is truth. None of that's God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to work for God. God's going to accept me on my own merits. Yeah, there's a real hot place waiting for you. No air conditioning there. That's what you're going to get, being saved by your merits. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because if the Lord saves anybody on their own merits, he just himself denigrated and removed all the importance of the law, of the the cross and Christ on the cross. Christ, verse 13 hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why that? For this cause, for this purpose is the Greek word. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing of Abraham? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So ultimately, ultimately, yes, he hung on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. But, oh, Lord, (laughs) he didn't hang on the cross for our sins just to be forgiven. That's not why he hung on the cross. He hung on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, your old man could be buried, and so that you could receive the spirit of grace. Because... If he had just died on the cross for for your forgiveness, you would have needed the cross over and over again. And I know we do because we're learning to walk, to yield our members to his righteousness. I know that. I know that. I know none of us are doing it perfectly. But in his plan, in his plan, the purpose of the cross was to provide you and I the means to receive the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of empowerment. That was the purpose. 
So everybody out there that preaches the cross is just for the purpose of being forgiven of their sins. They're pre- they're making an Old Testament situation out of a New Testament act. That cross was the dividing line between the old and the new. Because the purpose of it was not just to pay your past debt. The purpose of it was to enable you to receive the Spirit of God which would help you deal with your present and your future. Praise God. Praise God. Say, brother, right, this is really complicated. No, you're the one complicating everything. This is simple. This is simple. I've received the Spirit. I've got to let the, I've got to let my flesh, I've got to let the Lord help me get, let my flesh get out of the way and quit trusting me to do right. So if I go back to Galatians 2, read one more time, verse 19. For I, through the law, I'm dead to the law that I might live unto God. Hello? See, the purpose is life. Being forgiven of your sins is, 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 is a significant step toward life, but it's not life. It's the culmination of death. Repentance is the old man dying. And the old man is buried with Christ in water baptism. All of that culminates death. How do I know that? Because they were, they repented of their sins and were water baptized under John and Jesus' ministry in the old covenant. The thing that's new covenant was those, those things prepared the way for Christ. They prepared, just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ to come and be manifested, the, the preaching of repentance and water baptism prepares the way for the Spirit of Christ to come in manifestation of your life. And if I don't go through that whole process of dying out to my old man that the law has cursed because of my sin and allow that old man to be buried forever, once and for all, in Christ with him in water baptism and receive the Spirit of life, I cannot live the New Testament life. I can't. I can't live the New Testament life. Those of you that were in call to war last year, the Lord gave me the revelation that the sin in heaven was not pride because there's no verse in the Bible that says that sin in heaven was pride. Lucifer's sin in heaven was iniquity. Iniquity was found in his heart. Well, iniquity really defines the result of iniquity, which is lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Nobody's telling me what to do. Nobody, nobody's telling me what to do. I make my own decisions. Which ultimately is the cause of the, the, the real seed that results in, in iniquity. And that is... I want to run my own life. I want to make my own decisions. I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. Really? Really? Yeah, I'm going to tell God what He can judge me on. He's going to judge me about, He's got to, my heaven or hell is going to be 
determined by him accepting my opinions of what's right and what's wrong. And I've lived faithfully by my opinions, Lord, so you ought to save me. <clears throat> wrong answer with eternally horrible consequences. It's not Chester Wright's opinion. It's not David Wright's opinion. It's not Antioch's collective opinion. It's, it's not the United Pentecostal Church's opinion. It's not any church's opinion. It's not any religion's opinion. It's what thus saith the Lord. It's his opinions that count. My opinion and your opinion are irrelevant when it comes to eternity. Oh, you're welcomed in this life to have your, your opinion. But you are going to pay the consequences for that opinion. My pea brain uh, presumes to ha- it, the sin of presumptuousness presumes to have opinions that I consider to be superior or more morally co- correct than the Creator of heaven and earth. That right there's enough sin to go to hell for forever. Just that presumption, which is exactly what. Lucifer wanted. He didn't want to be accountable anymore. He wanted, when he wanted to be like God, what was like God? The Lord decided what was going to be done and what wasn't going to be done. The Lord decided what was right and wrong. That's what the eternal God did. And Lucifer wanted to be like that. I mean, he, Lucifer was in the presence of God. He knew that God filled all space. He knew he couldn't be that. He's a finite being. So when he wanted to be like God, he didn't want to be he, was a, he had no hope or idea that he could fill all space. He just wanted to have the authority to run his own life. And when you and I come and we start out in the Spirit because we yield to receive this new life. But then somewhere along the line, the ego of our flesh rises up and says, I'm going to do right because I'm, I can do this. I, you know, I'm going to do right. I'm going to work for God. I'm going to live for God. No. No, the spiritual place is God's doing the living and God's doing the working. Verse 20, Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. The Spirit of Christ. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by, come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That statement sums it all up. If you've repented of your sins, been ba- buried with him in baptism, and you've been resurrected with him by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and now you've gone back, and you're trying hard to do what's right. You have just made Christ's death vain, empty, worthless to you. Why do we do that? So we don't have to yield. I started to say this since last year. When I think things I shouldn't think, or do things I shouldn't do, or don't think what I should think or don't do what I should do. I don't confess those individual things anymore. 
I realize that everything I've been calling sin all these years are just nothing but symptoms. They're symptoms of the sin. And the sin is iniquity. And everything I've done I, or thought I, or said I shouldn't have, and everything I didn't think or didn't say or didn't do that I should have, was all a result of the fact I'm trying to be in control. So I confess my iniquity because all of that, none of that would have happened if I had not unyielded myself. Because none of, none of those things would have happened if I'd have simply yielded my members to righteousness. Just, to, just yield myself by the grace of God. The grace of God's what empowers me to yield. To yield myself to the grace of God to do those things that are right. So if I didn't yield and I'm doing things that are wrong or I didn't do things that I should have done, then all of that stuff, those are just symptoms of the problem. The problem is over here. I took over. I'm trying to save myself by being good. Boy, this is hard for us Pentecostals to hear, isn't it? Because there's such a spirit of Galatia among the United Pentecostal Church. Having begun in the spirit, we're, we're now trying to be made perfect by the flesh. All my life being raised, this was the answer I was given whenever there was a problem. Try harder and pray more. And if you wanted a different answer, they would give you this one. Pray more and try harder. That's a different answer. So A, B, take your choice. Pray more and try harder or try harder and pray more. The praying part's fine. And trying trying's good because the harder you try, the more you're going to fail. And the more you fail, the quicker, hopefully, you will come to the understanding you can't do this. If the Son of God, the innocent, sinless Son of God said, the Son can do nothing of himself. Who in the world are you and I? to think we can try hard enough to please God. I said it, I'm going to say it to you again. There is no pressure. There's no pressure when you're yielding your members to righteousness. It takes all the pressure away. It's beautiful peace. That's why Isaiah 32, 17 again, please. The work of righteousness, of innocence, is peace. The grace of God produces, Isaiah 32, 17, please. The work of righteousness it shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Because when I yield, I yield. The Spirit of God is going to do these things through me. I don't have to work to talk in tongues. My mind isn't working. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 says my mind is at rest. Uh, 
or King James says it's unfruitful, but the literal Greek is my mind's at rest. And the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. And if the Spirit of God can tame the tongue that easily, then I can learn to yield the rest of my body just as surely as I learn to yield my tongue. And he took the hardest thing for me to yield and used it as the sign of the beginning, not the goal to achieve to. So therefore, if I can, the Bible says in James that if, I, if, my, if my tongue can be tamed, my whole body can be tamed. But no man's ever yet tamed his flesh, the Scripture says. He's, one, 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 one statement James makes is, this is not exact quote, but it's close. He said, if, if you can tame your tongue, your whole body can be tamed. But no man's ever yet tamed his own flesh. Well, that, that's, that's frustrating. No, it's not frustrating. No man's ever yet tamed his own flesh. But the same spirit that I had to yield to to receive in the first place and that the sign, the very, the very first thing that the Lord ever did in my life was take the most unruly member of my body and teach me to yield it to righteousness that if that can be done, the most unruly member of my body could be done so simply once I learned to just yield to it, then every other member of my body can be yielded to righteousness the same way. There's no strain in talking. With, it was when I first got the Holy Ghost. I didn't understand the first 10 years. I talked in tongues maybe twice a year, and it was hard. Oh, I hated it. I mean that sincerely. It was just, it was so difficult to do until finally the Lord put me in a circumstance where I had to break through and I did break through. When I broke through, I realized that it wasn't speaking in tongues that was hard. It was me yielding that was hard because I was trying to, you can't, flesh can't cause flesh to yield. Hello? Flesh can't cause flesh to yield. That's not possible. Flesh can't enable flesh to yield. Flesh can't enable flesh to yield. The last thing flesh wants to do is yield. And for 20 years, or 10 years, all, all, from the time I was 12 to 22, all, all I, you know, in order to finally break through into speaking in tongues again, I had to go through that whole Pentecostal thing. Jesus, 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 hallelujah, 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 and finally talk in tongues. And then if we get started, I'd either be afraid it wouldn't quit or or afraid to let it quit because it was so hard to do. But it wasn't speaking in tongues it was hard because the Spirit was resident in me. It was learning to yield to the Spirit. It was hard because flesh was in the way. And if I can learn how to yield to the Spirit in speaking tongues and yield, and that conquers the most unruly member of my body, then I can live right by yielding my members to righteousness to let the Spirit of God live those things through me. The pastor taught it tonight. It is not human to put other people ahead of yourself it's not human 
It's only possible by the Spirit. That's why, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have agape, one for another. Because agape, the source of agape is God, because God is agape. There's no connection between agape and flesh. So therefore, if I'm going to love you, if I'm, we're going to love each other by agape, we got to yield to God. We've got to yield to God. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And there's some people, they mean well, I hope. The grace of God is unmerited favor. Duh. I'm saved by grace. Unmerited favor. Well, of course. But is that all there is to it? Is that all there is to grace? No. No. Unmerited favor is the, is God's motive for what grace does. He, he does in us and through us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's unmerited favor that he grants to us to be empowered by his spirit. And I forget what you, I think it's Thayer's or, uh, I think it's Thayer's. It's one of those lexicons that actually says that the grace of God is the action of the spirit of God upon the soul, empowering and enabling you to do what you cannot do yourself. It's something like that. It's in there. That's not Chester Wright. That's actually a Greek definition. So, therefore, those that want to only define grace as unmerited favor, they're showing that they're not their their scholarship is not uh, it's not mixed with integrity. Their scholarship is flawed. It's not honest. So, therefore, <laughs> I'm a child of God. I'm quitting. I know it's my time. I got three minutes according to the, the iPad, and we know it's right. So, what is, for a Christian, what is sin all about? Is sin a, a proof of my failure of performance? Hello? I've sinned. What does that mean? I failed to perform properly. Wrong. My sin, I only sin because I failed to yield. If I did right, I can't boast in that. Because the only reason I truly did anything that pleased God is because I yielded to God and He did it. So what does that make me want to do? That makes me want to come to church and worship God. So people who sit and never worship are acknowledging that they're frustrated with themselves because they're trying hard and it's not working right now and they don't have anything to worship about. They don't have anything to worship. The, the word charis, which is translated grace, in a several places, the King James is actually translated thank. And every word, thankful, 
thankfulness, thanksgiving, every one of those words, the root word in them is charis, grace. Because true thanksgiving is a product of people who realize that anything they have or they've done is a product of God's unmerited favor working in their life, producing whatever good has been produced through them. So therefore, they give thanks to God because they know they cannot and do not take the credit for that. That's true thanksgiving. That's true thanksgiving. Father, I love you tonight. Not by my ability not by my strength, not by my humanity. But whatever love I have for you is the love I give back to you that I've received from you for me, which is what your word said I'm supposed to do. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you have made this so simple that a little child can do it. I'm thankful that you've made heaven so easy to get to once we understand that all we have to do is yield to your spirit after we've been born again of water and the spirit. It's just daily yield to your spirit. Jesus, I pray the spirit of revelation upon every person hearing this message tonight, and those that will hear it, archived. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for every one of us that we would receive the spirit of revelation and we would yield to the spirit of empowerment of your grace working in our lives so that we can please you and move on past ourselves and let you work through us to reach the lost. For the same spirit, Father, we acknowledge the same spirit that works through us to enable us to please you is the exact same spirit that we can yield to for you to produce fruit through our lives for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. Therefore, in advance, we give you the thanks for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. We got out before everybody else tonight. Look at that. Nine o'clock. My iPad says nine o'clock. Did you see that? Okay. <laughs>